0: Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. Today I've got Nick Cimenta and this is going to be a very unusual podcast. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. Nick's a pretty low-key guy and you're going to pick that up pretty quick. Um, so Nick, how would you introduce – how do you describe yourself and what you do to people? Um, I mean I
1: am a, a marketing consultant. I, I am an agilist I would say at this point. Um, I know the stuff pretty well. Um, I, I, when people ask me what I do, I say that my expertise is dynamic funnel development, which is understanding all the different pieces that make up marketing and sales funnels. And then the psychology of the sale, because if you get those two pieces together, then lots of money falls out the bottom.
0: Okay, cool. All right. And you work with Maria Mattarelli.
1: Absolutely. One of the great joys of my life is being her business partner.
0: All right. And so what do you, how do you describe what you guys do?
1: Uh, well we, you know, we, we, there's a lot of things. We, we do a lot of stuff, um, you know, we speak a lot on the subject of agile marketing, um, on the subject of the conscious communication code, which is some of the stuff that we put together on specifically dealing with conflict resolution and talking to people. We teach the personal agility stuff, which is agile for individuals. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of it just kind of revolves around speaking, workshops, consulting, working with people one to one or one to many. Um, but I would say the reason that we've done so well as a small shop is because we've always had really, really, really strong marketing and a really strong brand and a really strong presence. Um, and that's largely in part to Maria uh, being the person that she is. But that's also largely in part to the fact that we have systems and cadences in place and we treat our marketing you know, like we treat anything else that's always being worked on.
0: All right, cool. Well, thank you. Um, so I'm going to kind of set this up and we're going to see where it goes. So if you don't, if you haven't had a chance to meet Nick, he's a very unusual and very interesting guy. And every time I talk to him, there's something that happens where I'm like, what the hell? Where did that come from?
1: Eccentric is the word. Okay, <laughs> eccentric.
0: So we were talking at the Scrum Gathering and all of a sudden it got into this conversation about nonviolent communication and different language techniques and you kind of blew me away so the the theme for the podcast is the language of persuasion and Uh, i just uh, like to know kind of initially what your what your thoughts are and like how you came to learn about that stuff
1: so i have always been like a firm believer that you know the the key to life is is building on your strengths right i know where i'm weak and I, i don't care i just build on my strengths and Talking is a strength for me, right? I'm am I'm an oral communicator through and through. I learn from conversation. I pick everything up from conversation. I've 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 been in almost no fights in my life because anytime someone's ever come at me ready to fight, I've been able to talk them into being my friend, um, okay. or at least you know going away. <laughs> um, you know, it's a fun one. I had a guy who literally was about twice my size ready to just pound me into dust at one point. I remember leaning forward and I started whispering in his ear and I'm like, hey man, I understand that you're a lot bigger than me, and this is probably gonna end with you beating me, but let's, let's just kind of evaluate the situation, you know? Option one is you beat me really, really, really badly, and everybody here feels bad for me and thinks you're a jerk. Option two is by some fluke, I accidentally kicked the tar out of you, and then you're gonna look even worse, and I'm gonna look like a hero. So describe for me the situation where you
0: win in this. So this is a great kind of starting point because this is something we actually talked about. Now, I want to try to tie it back to things that people that are listening might have to deal with. Conflict at work. Um, mm-hmm. difficult yeah, maybe, situations, Maybe, maybe your 400-pound
1: guy isn't someone trying to beat you up, but it's, it's something that you're dealing with. That's your, your elephant in the room, your big problem that you can't deal with.
0: Yeah, but you can't lean across the table in a meeting to the vice president who's trying to tear you up because they want to blame somebody and whisper in their ear.
1: No, but you can you can very subtly take control of the conversation. OK, you know, pace, pace, lead.
0: So we'll and explain that's the that. thing
1: when someone so pace, pace, lead. There's this idea that, you know, we immediately want to go up against the person. Like when conflict starts, your instincts are fight or flight. It's run away. Right. Or attack back. And that's the way you're hardwired. But the reality is what you actually want to do is run with them so you know when 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 force hits an object that's conflict right right but pace pace lead is the idea that when they come at you you're gonna pace you're gonna move with them you're gonna wear them out it's it's sort of like a conversational rope-a-dope so for those of you who are familiar with the boxing term it's letting somebody get tired right letting them just throw their punches so if if you if you pace into them. If, if you agree and say, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I get where you're coming from. You have every right to feel that way. And you, you now have control of the conversation. You gain control of the conversation by matching their speed. And then you lead, which means if they came at you aggressive and fast, you come in very soft and slow. Right. Okay. So you agree with them real fast. Like I get why you're upset. Oh my God, you're so upset. And then once they, they start agreeing with you and you've now used pace to get them hooked, you lead. So you just change direction. So if I'm all fired up with you and then all of a sudden I start talking like this, you bring it why down. have you
0: – yeah. So this – it also sounds very kind of martial arts centric to me and like when, from when I did Tai Chi, if you're doing push hands or something or whatever you're doing, you let the other person's energy kind of guide them to wherever they want to go and then you can use that to your advantage.
1: Exactly. And, and it is. It's, 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 it is almost like conversational judo. Like It's just like let their own body weight throw them off the center.
0: So how do you, in a moment, in a very heated moment, how do you kind of catch yourself? Because everybody gets swept up in the fight or flight thing.
1: Well, everybody does for the most part because most people struggle with a very basic thing that is the key to being good at this or not good at this. And that's that you cannot take anything personally. Even a personal attack, you can't take personally. Because the second you take it personally... You lose your ability to act, right? Okay. Your, your emotions become intermixed in. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to remove all the emotions, like just suck all the emotion out of the conversation. Because <clears throat> when we do that, we're only dealing in objectivity at that point, right? And most people are pretty friggin' rational.
0: Okay. this is, Right? Y- yeah. You can go well, on, but we, I'm going to ask you a question. We being
1: rational when our emotions get mixed into play. Okay, and so the game is not control the other person. the The game is get get control of the other person's emotions.
0: So when you say control your emotions, I, there was a book that I read a long time ago about how um, specifically it was about how um, in America there's you know, white Americans, African Americans, and and Asian people argue differently, and. There was a whole section about how like if if white if white men get in an argument, the way we demonstrate passion and commitment is by trying to get super calm and chill other mm-hmm. other races and cultures it's about showing passion and so you want to kind of amp it up because you have to show like I am this is important to me. Uh, but I'm assuming that when you're talking about this reaction, you're not talking about the energy you project, it's the internal conversation.
1: Yeah, exactly, right Because what happens is, we start to allow our emotions to skew us from perceiving the situation. We start interpreting things and adding context and subcontext to them. We're not dealing with what is objectively happening, right? And that's the first thing you gotta do is you gotta stay in that, that law of logic, that A is A. What is actually happening right now? Not what is happening to me, because once you make it what is happening to me, you start adding whys and hows and all of these extra emotions start coming into play. Yours as well, right? So instead of having like, my boss is mad, as the objective thing you're dealing with, it's my boss is mad at me because I suck and I did this wrong and all these other things. And like all the other baggage down. you're
0: carrying with you.
1: Exactly.
0: So how the do we, so catching your own you narrative. The first thing you need to
1: do is, is just not take anything personally. That's like the, the, the main move in controlling yourself is like, okay, I can't take this personally, I have to just see what what is happening. Okay. Not what is happening to me, but what is happening. Is the project late, right?
0: Is the client pissed? So that's not an easy thing for most folks to be able to do.
1: No, and I've been told that that is my superpower, by the way.
0: (laughs) So is that something you always had, or is that like a muscle you had to develop?
1: I had kind of a crazy alcoholic father growing up. Okay. And um, he he was this kind of dude who would just sort of fly in because he was like a really functional alcoholic and like really successful Um, So he wasn't around a lot, which was awesome. But when he was around, he was like hypercritical like most crazy lunatic drunks So he would just sort of like fly in and spew Like negative crap on me and I had to like once you've learned to not take that seriously from that source it becomes really easy to not take it from anywhere else Okay, so like I had sort of um, I guess I was lucky uh, as a way to look at it I do I do see it that way. I see that I was lucky enough to have that situation as a young kid um And this person who, you know, never offered any constructive criticism ever, but offered a lot of criticism. Yeah. And the second I was able to not take that stuff personally and, like, see it for what it is, it's like, okay, so here's how he was able to be successful in spite of his shortcomings. Here's what I can learn from it by not taking any of the crap that came out of his mouth personally. Okay. And, and that sort of led me into developing that as a further skill set and other things. And, and I could get into some of the, the harder things I've, I've dealt with um, that I've taken as blessings. You know, tomorrow I'm going to file for a divorce that I'm actually really happy about, and so is my ex, and we're, like, super excited to, to be legally done. And, like, like we just had, you know, and, and to, to give you context, the person I'm divorcing tomorrow, I had dinner with last week with me, her, my girlfriend, and her boyfriend, and we were okay. all you know having an awesome time together because we get along great yeah because even in the things that don't work the way you wanted when you don't take them personally it allows you to move through them with the least amount of friction
0: okay so i'm going to assume then that part of you developing this ability comes from the fact that there was a lot of conflict. It's like that scene from knock around guys where, where Vin Diesel's like 500 fights and then you're a tough guy. I love that scene by the I way. I That, that is a, the be- only part of that movie that's worth watching. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Like that literally that, that what is that? Like three minutes. Yeah. yeah. That is knock around guys.
0: Um, but, but you got enough exposure to it so that you develop the ability to like see the punch coming. Um, for people that when you're coaching people that don't have that, they haven't had that experience. Are there things that you would suggest to them? Because a lot of folks in an office setting, they're not used to conflict. They shy away from it, which is normal and healthy. But if you have to learn how to cope with this, have to learn how to catch that moment and be like, okay, what is actually going on here other than my own narrative that I'm running in my head? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have kind of suggestions for how people can kind of find their breath in that moment? Well, I do.
1: And I have a lot of them because... I realize that I have, uh, you know, I have developed a hyper intuitive sense of conflict from living in a hyper conflict rich environment. Um, and you know, the sales floor is a hyper conflict rich environment. My family growing up Italian in Chicago is a hyper conflict rich environment. I think I made the the reference on stage that I come from the kind of family where Easter egg hunts can turn into knife fights. Um, (laughs) you know, that's, that's, I've, it, it, these things happen, you know, yeah. my, my mother's, you know, 65th birthday, everybody walked out of the restaurant and left my grandparents sitting at the table alone, confused as to why everyone was fighting. <laughs> and, and the girl I was dating at the time was just like, what, w- what was that? That's not normal. I'm like, no, it's, it's normal. I mean, it's normal-ish. Now let me go outside and wrangle each one of these people back and figure out what's wrong. And, and, you know, like each of them had a different narrative, right? Yeah. The explosion happened because, and, and here's where it comes from, right? You have to remind yourself that you are not a moral authority and therefore your opinion isn't what matters. The objective situation is what matters. Okay, right? And this happens a lot with sort of the way we're trained by everything going on around us is that when something happens, we always assume something is happening to me. When when a TV is is louder than you would like, your assumption is that the TV is too loud. When, you know,
0: because we're all the the main character in the movie, exactly.
1: And so, simply by reminding yourself with this simple phrase, then I would like, right?
0: Okay. Well, that was a so, nice segue there.
1: Yeah, it's it's, but it's a simple <laughs> phrase, right? Then I would like. Okay. So if if you're like if if you're trying to get a control of a situation and you're perceiving a conflict and you're like, man, this guy is angry and he's loud and 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 you know the situation is horrible and it's like, well, no, this guy is is madder than I would like, and he's probably louder than I would like, and the situation is is, sub, is, is less than I would like, but you know what's actually going on, yeah. right? And and when you start reminding yourself of that, it becomes easier to kind of step out of your body almost.
0: Okay, I find that for me, I, I've started to try to remind myself that maybe I'm just a background character. Like maybe yeah. <laughs> I'm not the star of the story, I'm just like the guy that in the red shirt that's gonna get sent on an away mission for that person.
1: It's very plausible, you know, um, Um, and I try to remind people that you have to, if you want to be the hero of your story, then you have to know what the real narrative that's going on is. So how do you know what that is? Well, that's once you remove yourself and you really look at what's going on, you have the objective truth, right? And this is one of those, those things we are talking about is like that objectivity versus subjectivity. Right. And that's where this stuff gets really tricky is because subjectivity means your emotions and their emotions are mixed in. And objectivity means only the truth and facts of the situation are what's being looked at. Okay. And that's that's an interesting jump for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, and not an easy one. I mean, it's something that they would probably have... A lot of folks that I assume would probably have to practice.
1: That's absolutely requires practice. You, you have to change the language and that's why we call it the conscious communication code because it's a change in in when you use different language you start to perceive that that change in language in yourself all of a sudden you start to perceive the language of others for what it is
0: yeah so yeah. i want to segue cuz you just sort of took a step in that direction a minute ago but i want to go and talk a little bit about nonviolent communication because when you brought when we started to talk about that you are the and, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but you are the opposite of every NBC person I've ever met <laughs> because most of them, when they adopt that approach, they all talk in the yoga voice and that's not you.
1: No, no, it's not. But that wasn't Dr. Rosenberg either. Okay. I mean, that's the thing that kind of cracks me up is that every NBC practitioner I've ever met yeah. is like, hi, I am, <laughs> How, how are you? You know, I would like to talk to you. And it's like, tonal control was, was, was never even part of Marshall's curriculum.
0: Well, you know, and now all the NBC people are saying, when I hear you talk like that, I take offense because I would like to be respected. Would you be willing to explain what we're actually talking about? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well,
1: I mean, I, what, what Dr. Marshall Rosenberg wrote was a framework for getting through difficult languages from people who have a, 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 a very harsh language
0: background. And it As comes from he civil rights, out, for those of you who aren't familiar with
1: it. Yeah, and he also fucking grew up, excuse my language, you're going to have to <laughs> cut that out, but and he also grew up in, in, in downtown Detroit. Right. Like, people are like, oh, he was from Sedona. It's like, no, the school's in Sedona. He was from Detroit. Not a soft town. No. And he was involved in the civil rights movement in Detroit. So,
0: you know. There's a lot to unpack there. So what is, can you, how would you explain NVC to somebody who's not familiar with it?
1: So NVC or nonviolent communication is sort of the writings and findings of a man named Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. And what he stumbled on was that people have an an innate ability to sort of speak in a way that, implies a high level of moral authority disconnects you from what is actually going on and puts you in a position where you are actually judging others on a consistent basis and taking everything personally and like the way he wrote the curriculum it's being sort of used as this idea of again that yogi speak thing and it's like yeah. no no this this was not meant for that he was not trying to make everybody walk like walk around talking like this all the time what he wanted was <laughs> to give you tools, right? Okay. It wasn't supposed to be, and, and maybe I'm wrong, you know, I've always said one of the greatest sadnesses in my life is that when I found this stuff and I got really passionate about it and I started getting ready to go out and actually talk to the guy, he, he passed literally, I don't know, maybe two weeks after I had gotten tickets to go out to the school. Okay. So I never got the chance to sit and talk with him the way I, I hoped I could have. Okay. Uh, but what I can tell you is this, I have I've spent a lot of time around you know, coaches, trainers, consultants. It's been sort of the core of my life for a very long time. And, um, I've been in sales uh, as long as I can, I can remember, you know, it was the first job I ever had. It's the only job I've ever been good at. And when I found the curriculum and I started using it and I used it to navigate through a really complicated situation of separating from my best friend that I, and, and the mother of my child, Okay. I used it for, You know, dealing with some really complicated situations in my own personal and professional life but I didn't change the way I spoke I didn't make it change my personality I didn't have to become something I wasn't to use those tools okay and that's what was so special about it I was like anyone can use this it doesn't matter you don't have to be you know an nth degree yogi that you know doesn't eat dairy meat or sugar and you know meditates 14 hours a day in order to use nonviolent communication you can be a, a hardwired hard-nosed you know sales dog that's literally capable of using the same tools without dropping my tone to to a position of weakness and the other thing is that it's not it's not weak communication it's nonviolent communication it's actually a very strong communicational skill set
0: So can you explain that part? Because I want to see where you go with
1: this. All right. One of the coolest things about the way he put together his framework was that it gave you the ability to connect directly to someone's feelings and understand and acknowledge them and then reach through them and touch their need.
0: Okay. So maybe an example. What's an example?
1: So like anytime when, 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 like we use this in the gratitude equation and we use gratitude in our retrospective, right? So like when, when I tell people to, to address a member of their team with a, with a a sense of gratitude, it's supposed to be like, Hey, I'm, I really appreciate, you know, like Dave, I really appreciate that you asked me to, to, to join you on this podcast. I, you know, I, I love being able to talk to you. You always make me feel, you know, accepted and, you know, um, uh, heard and, and respected um and it makes the need that i have to feel like i'm part of a community and it makes the need that i have as a human being to feel heard that we all share it it takes care of that for me and i appreciate that right and that's a really strong level of communication because now what i've done is i've reached through your feelings and my feelings and i just touched a need we share
0: and And you've also been open and vulnerable but like it's a it's a strong kind of vulnerability exactly Okay. It's not a weakness of vulnerability.
1: Yeah, it is, it is a strength of connection. And it comes down to this, one of the most amazing things that he says is that this language was designed to give you power with people versus power over people.
0: Okay. And
1: that for me was sort of the epiphany moment where I was like, this guy could change my life and the life of so many with that simple statement if people really understood what it meant.
0: So that is something that I had not picked. I mean I heard you say that in the in the video that I watched earlier but I had not kinda of tied that connection because for me um, when I had learned about it it was mostly from Judith Lassiter and it was all about I have a, I have a need I'm gonna express my request and tell you why I want it and if you don't respond the way I want you to I'm gonna keep coming back and asking until I find the answer that I want or some answer I can live with. Mm-hmm. But that's not the same as what you just described. The with part is missing from that because it's still about me. Correct.
1: And, and that's the thing is that the the, the first, when, when you're attempting to, to use it against the grain to get what you want versus to use it to follow what objectively makes the most sense, right? Okay. And that's the thing is that most people, like when you start connecting on, on all, that we all have the same needs, the reality is we all have the same goals too, especially when we're working on a team.
0: Yeah, so I want to I wanna call this part up just to make sure that in case anybody's not – it's not clicking for anybody. This is kind of, to me, walking alongside the whole thing of we're working on this project. Things are late. Things are behind. Somebody's pissed. Um, we've got to figure out some solution and in my waterfall background, I'm looking for the person to hang because I got to tag somebody with this failure. But in a more, I don't know, I guess self-aware maybe, or, or group aware or whatever mindset, then we still want to do something. So let's just find this even space where we can all agree, Hey, we got to get something done. Let's figure that out. Exactly. And that's the
1: thing, right? Problems happen. Yeah. Projects go sideways. I have I have never, ever, ever in my life assumed that something was going to be on time and on budget. Just never. I've never walked in and been like, we're definitely going to be on time and on budget. Nope. I assume that Everything's I, I work go towards sideways. The work. Yeah. I work towards the best and I expect that, you know, and I prepare for the worst. I okay. expect the best out of my people and I prepare for the worst to happen. Okay. So, And, okay. you know, that, that, that's a big shift for a lot of people too, though, because they, they you have to realize you don't live in an ideal universe.
0: And it's a difficult switch for leaders who are the ones who get the stuff done.
1: Yes, because they wish that everyone on their team you know, they wish that everything was in an ideal universe, but we all do that, right? Everybody wishes that they could exist inside of this ideal universe where everything works the way you want it to work out. Yeah. But it doesn't, and that's why conflict exists.
0: All right, so I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction. now. So one of the challenges I often have is um, I, I work super hard, and when I work with other people, I never expect that they will put forth more effort than me. But I do expect that they will match my level of effort, and sometimes when they don't, I get super frustrated.
1: Sure, and, that's, and a, that's a pretty normal feeling for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, but everybody's not the same as me. Yeah, but do
1: you understand what what the goals and motivations of everybody on the team are?
0: No, and that's the problem. I don't. Well, there you go. Yeah, I, I don't. I often don't take the time. So I think that's an important thing to call out too. Is is having, I guess, maybe empathy for the fact that my uh, expectations might be completely unrealistic and unexplained to anyone (laughs) inside my own head. Everybody's got their own stuff that they're dealing with and their own motivators, and they don't want the stuff I want. Nope. And then I've gotta get myself to find a way to meet them. Well, this is where the
1: objectivism comes into play, right? Is that everyone's rational self-interest on the team is to complete the project in some form or fashion. So it's like, okay, well if I can appeal to your sense of rational self-interest, right? Yeah. Then you're going to want to you're going to want to work with me.
0: So this is kind of going towards the sales thing too because isn't that the same thing that you're trying to do in sales where you're trying to find what it is that that person's needs are and find some way to meet them?
1: Absolutely. Well, again, in sales you should already know what what need you meet for your ideal customer and that's a big part of that agile marketing thing when i'm like no nah, dude you know you need agile marketing because the reason you need it is that you're not focused on who to sell to first off like you're you're just like let me get customers and i'll figure out what they want to buy from me and it's like what are you doing no don't don't just sell whatever to whoever to get money in. that's terrible yeah what is your core competency who do you have the best value to right like, there's, there's one problem that you're probably way better at solving than the others. So how do you, you know, and what are people going through that problem really going through? How do we find them? How do we, how do we focus your marketing on that one problem so that you can find people who have that problem and the right people who have it, who need you to solve it for them?
0: So when you're, when you're doing this, whether it's sales or working with teams or, or working through conflict, how do you... There's, there's a lot of stuff about you that I'm, I'm super curious about, but this is one in particular that a lot of folks I know consider themselves on some level, they believe they're Steve Jobs. Like they know what everybody <laughs> needs, right? Um, I don't. Uh, well, and that's – so this is the thing that I'm wondering. How is it that you are able to shut off your ego and be like, I got no idea and keep asking in, until you find the thing? Because all of us believe we find the answer right away. We find something that matches something familiar in our past, and we assume that's the answer.
1: Objectivism okay. helps, you know. Uh, the other thing that helps is realizing that just because you can doesn't mean you should. Okay. And I'll tell you, you know, I want to give a shout out to Jason, who was my first business partner, and one of the best people I've ever worked with. And I miss him every day. And Jason used to come into my office, and he used to sit down on the couch in my office and he used to look at me and he used to go, could we do one less thing and still make the same amount of money? And that was always his question. Because I used to ask him the question before we started the business, I'm like, what, can, you know, what, what else can we do to make money? Yeah. And it used to drive him nuts. So he used to ask me the exact opposite question and I found it so interesting because he would let this goofy little smile on his face and go, what's one less thing we can do and still make the same? He would ask it all the time, like literally almost every day. He'd come into my office and sit down on the couch and look at me and say this. And I'd be like, I don't know, Jay. And he's like, think. Think
0: with me. Well, and most people are so focused on doing more.
1: Well, that's because most people forget about the Pareto principle. Okay. I mean, 80% of your output comes from 20% of your input.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking more about Alistair and the whole thing about there's an infinite number of things I can't do.
1: There is an infinite number of things you can't do.
0: Because um, I know I always, like the podcast, the work, everything, I, I want to do so much and I know that I have limitations and finding the limitations is critical. But that that kind of next level of question of how can I do less, for me it would be how could I do less and still get the same learning and satisfaction? Eh, I don't know. I don't well, know well, how to look, answer that question.
1: you got to be aware of the Peter principle in your own life every day. Are you putting yourself above your level of competency? Because, see, we do this as as managers, as business owners – we, the Peter principle comes into play often, you know, people are promoted to their level of incompetency. Yeah. And if you're not aware of what you don't know, if you're not prepared to deal with certain things, like the most successful businesses I know are the ones where the owner steps back at each phase of growth and hires the right people and learns from them before taking the reins again, okay. you because know, what it takes to, to build a business as one person and then what it, yeah. it takes to run that business is ten people, and what it takes to run that business is a hundred people, and what it takes to run that business is five hundred people, they're very different. And you may not have the knowledge and the skills to do that properly. And you can you can falter and destroy the whole business and everyone it takes care of if you don't believe that sometimes you're not the best person to do everything.
0: Yeah. All right, well this one in a totally weird direction that I hadn't planned, so I'm gonna to try to bring it back to where I
1: wanted to go originally. So um feel free to, you know, edit this and post. No, no,
0: no. I so to me the other thing that I'm I'm very aware of when we're having the conversation, I don't know if people are picking up on it or not, and this is something I know from talking to you, you know, outside of this podcast as well, is your ability to modulate your level of energy and the tone of your voice is a very skillful thing and that and that's the thing that i'm super curious about so i kind of want to go back to the language stuff um are there other techniques or practices that you that you use that are like here's another tool in my tool belt that i can use with my language to change the tone control
1: speed cadence and tone control okay right so the speed that you speak at the tone that you use um you know when you're when you're up and you're doing this and you're all up in that and you're like, hey man, here's what's going on, here's what I'm trying to tell you about, here's this amazing offer, here's the incredible value that I have for you, but then here's where I wanna talk to you about what's real and the pain that we share, the things that are going on.
0: So how long did it take you to develop the ability to even have awareness of that? Well, you know, awareness
1: of of the way you communicate comes from paying attention. And when you're in sales, you have to pay attention if you want to make more money, you know, and I, I liked money, still like money. And so you end up paying attention to, when I talk like this, I make more money, and when I talk like that, I make less money, Okay. right? So you're sort of constantly, that's why the, like, the best salespeople, you know, you met these kids in high school that already knew how to do this stuff inherently, yeah. and why did they know? Because they were paying attention to the results. Right? They weren't consciously aware that they had developed you know tonal control and pace control and things of that nature. They just they were aware that they got results. Yeah. And that's the first thing I try to tell people is that if you're not watching the results, you can't make any changes. And that actually applies to everything. when when we bring people into personal agility, when we bring people into agile marketing, when we bring people in to learn sales or communication or anything from us, it's always like this. The first thing you have to do, is you have to track your output. Okay. You have to track your output. Because if you don't track your output, then we can't test things. And if we can't test things, you'll never learn anything.
0: So I want to try to give an example of that, something that happened with me. So um, when, I was te- when I started teaching, always the second half of the day, especially in the second day, it's like a dead zone. Like people are fried, they're tired. And I went through this period where I was like, God, this sucks, man. They're exhausted, I'm exhausted. This is We just got to get through this. And then it was, I got to do something about this, I got to figure out a way to get the energy back into the room. And then it was taking conscious steps to just ignore the fact that I was tired and try to amp up and, you know, bring some level of engagement back and get them excited again. But then this other thing happened where now I notice that it's happened after it happened. Mm. Like, it's very reflexive now. And and I'll catch myself, like, what the hell? Like, I'm, like, super wired right now. What's going on? And, like, I'm like, oh, because they were like that, and now they're back in it. Um, Do you find that 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 has happened with you as well, that you – it's almost like a reflex?
1: Well, you know, they've found scientific evidence that proves that human beings absorb the energy of other human beings.
0: Like Chris Lee. Mm Mm-hmm. That's
1: (laughs) a fact. So (laughs) – you know, that being said, they say to be aware of who you're around, but if, if that's a fact, then you need to be aware of what you're taking in, not who you're around, right? Because there's a lot of energies in the room. Yeah. You can pick and choose who you take energy from if you really pay attention, right? Because you, it's about focus. If I focus on someone, I'm going to begin to mirror them. Whether it's in instinctive or consciously, you cannot begin to take on the characteristics of something you're not focusing on. And the thing that I try to get people to understand is that you can be subconsciously focused on something and not even realize it.
0: Yeah. So I like want to. What if
1: you're subconsciously focused on the one negative person in the room while you're trying to to, to, to work with the others?
0: Yeah, or and you I'll, can't
1: figure out where your frustration is coming from, but you're just focused on that one negative person, and you can, you're telling yourself you're not. You know, consciously you're, you're so like, busy no, telling your
0: yourself you're not that that's all you're thinking of.
1: Yeah, it's like when someone tells you not to think about elephants.
0: Yeah. So I want to I wanna climb on that for a second because I've noticed that – or one thing I've tried to kind of tune in my life is you know you get up in the morning and they say breakfast is the most important meal. There Some people say that. So there's the food that you put in your body, but there's also the other stuff that goes into your body and your brain, the conversations you have, the things that you do in the morning, like whether you read or whatever it is you, you do to start your day. And if you work in one of those places where the first thing that happens at work every day is this high-powered, stress-filled, like, rah, 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 That's breakfast. That's the energy you're eating for breakfast. And that's not necessarily a good thing.
1: You know, I would say that the best teams that I work with have a really weird stand-up that I don't even know if it counts as Scrum, but they ask, you know, they do the the normal, you know, it's almost like a daily retrospective. It's like, what did you do yesterday, right? What are you going to do differently today to get more done? Right. You know, what is, are there any dependencies or roadblocks? And then it's, you know, what do you appreciate about everybody on the team? Yeah,
0: no, that's a good question.
1: And when you start the day with that in 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 the standup, and it's like, okay, yesterday I got this stuff done. Today I'm going to do this stuff. This, you know, I probably need you guys' help in these areas because I would like. That's the thing. Like, where do you, where do you need our help? Yeah. And what do you appreciate about us?
0: And to be and authentic the is, with that answer that is the tricky, room, too. What? You have to be authentic with that answer, too. You can't just be like, yeah, you're all here, you wore pants to work, whatever. No, you,
1: you can't. Because, you know, here's the thing. When people start getting in that habit, right, of giving gratitude to each other, of, of actually, like, connecting with each other, yeah, it is, it's nourishing. You It becomes breakfast. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, it feels so good to get it. I, I want to take seriously giving it now.
0: Yeah. That's and a that's, really important thing.
1: It, it's it's a super important thing. Yeah. And you, when you are truly connected to the people that you're working with, right, all of the wonderful benefits that come from a team only come when you're truly connected to each other.
0: That was good. Thanks. <laughs> I'm really good. Um, are there language or communication practices or techniques that you think are really important that we haven't talked about in this podcast? Tons of
1: them. And uh, you can find them in most of my courses.
0: Well, pick one (laughs) tease, tease the course. If you take Nick's course, you learn about a whole lot of communication stuff, especially.
1: Um, I think one of the most important things, uh, if you're struggling with your business right now, um, the marketing course, we're going to teach you how to, to focus in on, on what the main thing that you will do. What are you great at, right? So if you get focused on what you're great at and you only connect with people who that's going to make a difference for, it does drastically alter the business. When you're focused on ideal customers that need you, that's huge. Uh, in terms of a communication hack for dealing with people, like I said, if you have positioned yourself where you know your value, and that's the other thing that I just want to kind of get clear with everybody is that a lot of this stuff, being able to truly communicate well with your team, yeah. comes from you understanding that in addition to the conversations that you have with everybody else, you have another one that happens with you, right? Okay. Even when you and I are talking, Dave, yeah. I'm talking to myself yeah, because I'm hearing it. Yep. So if I'm telling you all of these negative things about the people we work with, not only is it affecting you, but it's further affecting me.
0: You're poisoning yourself. Correct.
1: And one of the most important things that you can do about telling the people around you why you care about them, why, you're, you, you, know, why you appreciate the people on your team, what their strengths are, and, and, and saying those things to them and saying them out loud is that you remind yourself.
0: Oh, that's great. That's and very positive. Yeah, this was great, man. So, if people want to find out more about you or more about the courses, what's the best way to do that?
1: Uh, you know, look Google Nick Sementa and I see We can include um, links to stuff. So, maybe there's yeah, look, one Yeah, you can give there? them links to you give links <laughs> to nicksementa.com. I think I think if you go to my homepage by the time this airs, there'll be like a, you know, like a choose your adventure thing where it's like, are you looking for marketing? Are you looking for personal? Are you looking for other? Okay um and they can kind of click there and
0: figure it out and they can also go to facebook and watch many of your awesome i don't know what do you call them are they rants what are they i call
1: it zen and the art of business development okay so there's a page for it i'll send you a link to it dave but i i try to put out um a few videos a week if not sometimes a few a day um and it's just you did two today right yeah sometimes I, i did two yeah i did two today um and and it's the reality is this so i work in in business development for you know a company that, that that does consulting and coaching and so my insight into what i would call the mass pandemic of problems that everybody is experiencing kind of boils down a few times a week and i'm just like hey here's what's going on here's what you're all complaining about okay here's how i suggest you deal with it um and again it's just a i don't know I I enjoy doing it. Um, I think I'll keep doing it until people tell me to stop doing it.
0: (laughs) Cool. All right, man, this was really great. It was really fun talking to you about this stuff. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Anytime Dave, you know that. And I'll see you in DC. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks man. Peace Dave.